Welcome to the Franchise Hounds podcast. I'm Greg Macchia, a certified franchise consultant. Thanks for joining me as I interview franchise industry pros to dissect, explore, and discover franchise ownership. Joining me today is Jeff Duden. Jeff is the chairman and CEO of Homefront Brands. Jeff is a seasoned business builder, undercover boss, and former college football player. He went to Florida to paint in the wake of Hurricane Andrew and two years later launched AvantaClean, a national restoration franchise that had 240 locations in 37 states when Jeff exited the company in 2019. He is a published author, podcaster, Forbes contributor, speaker, and consultant to emerging brands. Homefront Brands is an organization that holds a number of emerging residential and light commercial property service brands. Through their network of growth partners, leading support systems, and in-house customer acquisition and customer care services, they accelerate growth for founders and their franchisees. Homefront Brands exists to inspire entrepreneurs to take action and positively impact communities, franchisees, employees, and families. I hope you enjoy today's discussion with Jeff Duden from Homefront Brands. Jeff, welcome to Franchise Sounds. Thanks for joining us. Oh, so excited to be on. Thank you for finally finally finding the spot for me. Yeah, I know. It's been uh, a while in the making, so I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. And I just I find you you just have such an interesting story to share and and a and a fascinating path into into franchising. So I thought maybe a good place to start would be a bit about your kind of your your backstory and and how you got into franchising. Yeah, happy to share that. You know, I think so many people are uh, that are entrepreneurs are forced into existence by circumstances, and it was no different for me. I started really as an entrepreneur in college where I founded a, a business painting student apartments. So kind of a college pro painters, maybe before or at the same time there was a college pro painters type business. So uh, I went to Apple as a Chicago guy. I got a scout football scholarship out to Appalachian State University. So you know, showing up uh, from a, a, you know, kind of a city guy showing up at the top of a mountain in a dry county in Boone, North Carolina it was a, a, an adjustment for all parties involved. And, but the, the town survived and, and I adapted and, and it was great. So, uh, but I started there, uh, you know, I, I, I got there and I really wanted to stay over the summer. I'd met my wife and uh, it was just a beautiful place to be. So I started the painting business with my, my roommate and we recruited all the athletes that were there over the summer uh, taking classes. So basketball players cutting in ceilings without having to use ladders and football players rolling the walls. And so that was good. I mean, it was a, it was a good business. We made a lot of money. And so when I graduated and I was kind of hanging around waiting for my wife to graduate, a buddy called me and said, Hey, it was 1992. And this hurricane had just hit South Florida uh, called Hurricane Andrew. So my partner and I took an adventure and a flyer and we went down there and cut our teeth for the next 17 months in the insurance restoration business, learning all about uh, disaster response and, and insurance and, and all of the things there. And then we started the business with two other gentlemen that we had met, moved up to Central Florida to honor a non-compete in 1994 uh, that would turn into a business called AdvantaClean. And I would sell some 24 years and 11 months later. And then in 95, I moved up to, uh, 
Charlotte, North Carolina to get married and start our second location. For the next 10 years, we were a direct business, meaning we worked with the government, we worked with universities, and we worked with homeowners doing mold remediation, water damage, those types of things. And we opened up offices in Florida and also then uh, in South Carolina and in North Carolina where I was. And we chased every disaster, you know, for uh, every hurricane that made landfall. And we did jobs in Hawaii and Canada and the Caribbean and all of that. So it was a really good time. In 2004, I bought up my last partner. I knew that we needed some organization and, and some different people around the table to grow. So I hired some consultants. And the result of that was this vision, uh, you know, purpose, vision, mission, values, document about seven pages. Half of it was how to build, what we were going to do to build our direct business. And the other half was this franchising vision that I had been chasing for three or four years, but hadn't quite uh, caught it. And uh, so sure enough, the preparation from that and the things that we did to bolster our uh, disaster fleet, uh, Hurricane Katrina made landfall in 2005 then in uh, the Gulf Coast. So we, we rolled up down there. And we started what was what would turn out to be a, a large four-year response to helping the people from the Gulf Coast recover. And it was that time in 2005 where I said, you know, this is great, but I'm never home. And it's really, I'm not tolerating the sacrifice that I'm having to make. I had three small children at the time. So I decided uh, in the middle of the night driving through Atlanta that I was going to sell all of our company stores under the franchise model. So in 2006, seven and eight, sold all of our company stores under the franchise model. In 2009, we launched to the market. And uh, four years later, we had 130 uh, locations. And then I sold the business January 1st, 2019 with um, 240 locations in 37 states. And uh, but that was that was it. I mean, so for me, franchising was aspirationally. I looked started looking at it in 2001. We, we didn't have the partner was sworn aligned on to go that way. And we were, we were, we had a fast growing direct business and it wasn't until I was able to give something up that was material and meaningful in, in the chance to get this franchise vision, right? I mean, we had a great direct business, but it was ultimately cannibalized because most of the work was then given to the franchisees. Uh, so it took us about, you know, seven, eight, nine years for us to get ready. Those last three years in 2006, seven and eight, working with those first few franchisees, getting our call center, getting our technology, you know, getting our support model, trying to understand what it meant to be a quality franchisor. That was material. So when we did launch in 09, like we were ready to go and conditions in the economy, uh, think about it, we're high margin, needs-based, recession-resistant franchise. So it was really good coming out of the great financial crisis. You know, we weren't big screen TVs or things like that. Well, that's, that's amazing. You know, and, and it seems that along the way that you, you probably had to make a handful of, of difficult decisions, right? And I'm sure they didn't all turn out to be the right ones, but it seems that your your batting average is pretty good, including the uh, one where you said, "Hey, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna miss my kids growing up." You know, I got three young ones at home, and I'm not gonna miss that. And then you know, their sports and things like that. So I thought maybe it's a good time to talk about your book now. Yeah. So I um, I wrote I've written two books, and it, it for me it seems when I come to an end of an era, 
I, I tend to uh, say I want to capture this for for me, for anybody else who can make use of it, maybe for my kids one day. So the first book I wrote was called Hey Coach, and it was at the end of my coaching career with with all of my kids. I coached over 30 uh, seasons of their sports when I came off the road and, and built a, a franchise business. I was able to do that. So there's some power in the freedom of uh, entrepreneurship there, being able to make choice. But the the next book I wrote right after I sold Advanaclean was called Discernment, and it's the Business Athletes Regimen for a Great Life Through Better Decisions. And I mean, what I what I when I look back and I said, what can I put on paper that would be most useful for other entrepreneurs who are following uh, and who are just building their businesses? And it was really like, I mean, the weight of our decisions we carry on our back for the rest of our lives. And decisions are cumulative, both good and bad. The compound effect of good decisions will uh, will reduce friction, will increase the velocity of your business and increase the quality of your life. And the compound effect of bad decisions is just the same. You make one bad decision after another and, you know, the next thing you know, you're, you're, you know, you're in a bad spot. So, uh, so that's what I did. So really, it's a collection of uh, stories, but it's it's actually models of thought. So what I mean by that is, is you know, if a model of thought is the way of thinking about a situation and, and wisdom, and the way we think about wisdom and discernment, which is really, you know, uh, uh, decision making uh, applied to, you know, things that you've learned in your life and models of thought that you've accumulated then applied to present day situations to allow you to make a faster, better, more accurate decision, realizing that everything in life is about probabilities. There's nothing that is 100% ever and anything can go to zero. So really, if we make 99 decisions a day, starting with whether we make our bed and what we eat for breakfast and you know whether we start our day with gratitude or these types of things, you know, everything that you do, you know, changes that needle of getting the outcome that's desirable for you uh, by a little bit. Right. So it's you know, you're 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 moved it up to 72 uh, percent, 73, 74, 75. And the other side is part of, uh, you know, having discernment in your decision making is minimizing downside and running scenarios and saying, hey, you know, OK, well, if I do this, what are the what are the all of the possible outcomes that could happen in my life? Where what are all of the possible impacts? And then looking at those and saying, what's the probability that that's going to happen? And then if there, is there anything that I can do to fully eliminate the downside risk of what I'm going forward with or minimize it and increase the upside of it? So, you know, there's uh, decision filters, you know, you're, you're knowing who you are. And, and knowing your values and, and what's important to you and what matters the most is one of the first things. Because, you know, when I sold my business, I had a great coach uh, from for almost a decade. And he said, uh, Jeff, whatever it is you decide to do next, number one, uh, resist the temptation to just do it again, but, you know, bigger and better and faster. And then number two, everything that you do from this point forward Make sure it's aligned with your purpose. So do your work on your purpose. Understand who you are, what what matters the most to you, and make sure everything you do is aligned with that. So I took his advice, and I took three days off, and then I went right into doing it bigger, better, faster. So that's. <laughs> uh, but that was for me. That was a pause. Yeah, that yeah, was, that was impressive for those that knew you, right? Yeah, I um I started your book on Sunday night, and I'm 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 crushing it. I'm really enjoying it, and I, I'd probably be finished if it wasn't for the fact that it you know it's 
it's one of those books that um that I'm highlighting passages, I'm I'm writing notes in it. It's it's really been great. And um yeah, I really like the concept that you know, that you're a business athlete, right? And you need to train just like a, an athlete trains for competition. Um, and it's, it's funny as a parent of, you know, younger kids now myself, there were so many lessons in the book that I was like, you know, I, I, I want to share with my kids, right? About, you know, the quality of your decisions, you know, it really ultimately determines the quality of your life. And, um, and the other one I really like is how your, your core value should really be that first filter. In, in, in any decision you make, right? It's, it's got to come through that filter first. And, uh, yeah, so there was, there was a lot of, a lot of really great, great nuggets in there. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think Brian Tracy said, uh, the easiest way direction in which to ride a horse is in the direction that it's going. Right. And then he also went on to say, well, and if it's dead, get off. So that's, there's a business lesson inside of that. So, I mean, if, if you, you can, we can only be somebody that we're not for so long. We only have so much energy to pretend that we're somebody that we're not. So, you know, if, when we all have different skill sets, there's some, there's many more things that I am not good at than things that I like and are comfortable with. So building diversity inside of a team is important in, you know, age, race, gender, skill sets, um, desires, all of these, like you build diversity inside of a team. So you have these, all of these different things uh, that make this whole unit, right? So people can operate in their, in their highest value role and operate in their sweet spot, but you don't need diversity in values. When you're building a team, like the first thing you got to do is say, look, this is how decisions are going to get made. This is how relationships are managed. Here are the the things that you know, we're going to put up that if, if, you know, we ever get into a conflict or we're up against the wall or we're making a, a tough decision, like this is, this is how we yeah, roll. This, the the non-negotiables, then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Non-negotiables. And then the trick is if you can align, you know, if your people are, are reasonably well aligned uh, with a set of goals, with a set of values, and then you, you, you have those values in, in a company and you're you're true to them and it's not just lip service and you you truly live those and use those as tools the third step is can you align with that with the world and and if you can do that then you've got this organization that is always going to be lockstep so uh, the best example i have with advanta clean we were one of 65 uh part uh, national strategic partners with saint jude children's research hospital and we couldn't raise as much money as Domino's Pizza or these other great companies that were donating, you know, $9 million, $10 million a year. But what we could do is we could provide service. So anytime that a child would, you know, uh, go home from St. Jude and they would have a, uh, a, an indoor air quality problem or a mold problem or something like that, and they were immune deficient, you know, if we were contacted by St. Jude or any of the other uh, pediatric oncology hospitals that use their protocols in the system, uh, we would, you know, our franchise owners would go out and, and do those jobs for free. And they did that many, many times. So, you know, that was, that was an alignment of, you know, our cares values, who we wanted to be in the community, you know, how we wanted to, to prosecute our business and how we wanted to, you know, uh, be perceived and, 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 and live inside of that. And then, you know, connecting that with a, with a real solving a real problem in the real world. That's, that's incredible. And along those lines, I wanted to ask, cause you, you had mentioned it earlier, you said, you know, you, I think the timing was, is you, you had bought out a partner and at that point you decided you wanted to bring in a consultant to lay out some of these pillars, you know, the vision, the purpose, the mission, but, but 
you at that time you're very much in the weeds of running a very successful business. How did you know? Like, what was what did you did you just feel something was missing that you were a ship out at sea without like what what made you decide that hey we need this as as kind of a guiding light in our business and you know there's you know you can give yourself a trophy if you want to for we figured it all out ourselves and, and we've, you know, we know what we do and blah, blah, you know, and all of this lip service, pat, you know, break your arm, patting yourself on the back. But if you real, if you real, if we took a look around for all the success that we had, we weren't nearly as, as big or successful as a lot of companies. So I just, I knew we didn't have the thinking power uh, in the organization that we needed. And I knew that I did not have the thinking power. I didn't have, I mean, I wasn't traditionally trained in business. I, I had never worked for a billion dollar company. I just didn't have the tools. I didn't have it. So like I knew inherently, and and I think at that age, what happened is, is I finally got, on, I finally got the intellectual humility to, to, to just look at myself and say, you know, in a lot of ways, you're, you're, you are the biggest impediment to this business. And, and really that was an inflection point where right now, you know, I was a general contractor and, and, and if you take the analogy to being a franchisor, okay, I'm a general contractor in franchising. I can do franchise development. I can do marketing. I can do ops. I can do call center. I can do technology. I can do business office. I can do all of that, but I can't do it as well as specialists in those areas. So I've gone from somebody who had to control and do everything now to somebody who knows that it's only my job to find the very best person to do those things. Because if I do it, you know, ultimately the the comp- I, I'm not the best person to do it. So so I think you know that was a big part of it. Um, started getting around other business owners that were more advanced than us. And I'm like, and they were all, you know, I have coaches. I'm part of this Vistage group. I'm part of EO. I'm part of YPO. I've, uh, and, uh, and, and we go out and find people that have experience in the things that we want to do. We, we were the ultimate do it yourselfers. Like we, everything that, I mean, we would build a technology platform, uh, but what happens is, is you have the wrong people. I mean, you got wrong people doing wrong things, but everybody loving each other and trying really hard. But, you know, it's just not, it's not the best way. If you're going to build something to scale quickly, then you really, uh, you know, there, there's a, you got to get smarter people uh, always. Well, kudos to you for for recognizing that. And it uh, sounds like that was really opened up, you know, another, another level of growth for you. Um, and that's probably a good segue into, you know, what you're, what you're building with Homefront Brands. So, Tell us about that. Yeah, so Homefront Brands, it's you know, it's it's really very interesting, probably to me and nobody else. It's very uh, as I think about it, the problem, you know, every business starts with a problem slash solution statement. So, uh, I sold the company in 2019. Uh, I got into the fitness industry with partners. I've gotten to the infrared sauna industry. I've gotten into the uh, servicing companies in the industry, uh, franchise creation, franchise sales organizations, uh, worked with a, a bunch of emerging brands and, and it was all great. I mean, I, I worked with, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of companies, if not a hundred over a two or three year period. And, 
everything that I was coaching and advising and helping with, I was always trying to lay it back to like, this is how we did it in the property service industry. And then we took a look at it about two years ago and we said, well, you know, we're doing a lot of this stuff and it's great. And, and I'm kind of not having to operate. And I, and I took an investor's posture and I didn't want to operate. But then after, after about three years, I was like, you know, property services, uh, being in these different verticals, property services is the most durable segment, in my opinion. Right now, there are, there's a shortage of homes in many markets. Uh, COVID accelerated migration, you know, people west to east, north to south, you know, cold to warm. It's always happening. People are always migrating around the country. But with remote work and COVID, that migration accelerated because the crisis accelerates all trends. Uh, so now you've got a shortage of homes in, in these areas and uh, they're all they're marginally built because they've been built fast and they've been built. You know, everybody wants walk-in closets, high ceilings, you know, four-car garages, but they don't want to pay for really good performing homes. So they're built that way. Uh, and then you look at the demographic trends and the, and the population trends. I mean, there's one estimate that uh, we're going to go from the 350 million people we have in this country today to 496 million people by 2050. Most of the estimates are around 450 million, but think about that. A hundred million more people uh, it's we're, it, it's it seems like a long time from now, but you know that's only 1999 going backwards, and it's you know yesterday we were partying like it was 1999, it, you know, and Y2K, right? And we're already here in 23, halfway through it, and so you've got this massive population. You already have a housing shortage. You got you got building inventory that's not that, and then you know there's no this you know kids don't do skilled labor anymore. I mean, I did concrete framing, roofing, painting, moving. Like that's, that's what me and anybody who I was in my peer group did. We got a job anywhere we could and we, we learned these skills. It's not that way anymore. So, so we've got a massive skills gap. So if you think about property services, the demand's going to be high, the supply is going to be low, which means the prices are going to remain elevated and the opportunity there. So, so we said, all right, well, those are the conditions and another condition that we looked about looked at was, you know, the private equity phenomenon of, you know, private equity was really, I think, invented in like the 90s. I mean, it, it's not been around forever, this kind of model. Uh, but obviously, it's it's uh, it's capitalized, uh, no pun intended, in, in many, many different market segments. Franchising uh, is a high focus of pri uh, private equity. And that has transcended beyond the franchise ors to the franchisee level. So if you can build a material group of boxes or, or uh, you know, or, or locations in a franchise model, you, you have a buyer, uh, sophisticated buyers that are looking for those just those types of opportunities. So we said, all right, if we could build the most responsible franchise platform, taking everything we've learned over the last 30 years in every by every measure so that we could build enterprise level solutions, we could deliver those to the local level. And we would attract franchisees who are dynasty builders that wanted to create generational wealth, not just replace their income, but wanted to create generational wealth at the local level in a franchise system. What would that look like? And that's the problem we set out to solve. So from a people perspective, I mean, our top six executives have, you know, her, you know Hertz, Pods, uh, some of the, you know, they all have uh, Service Master. They all have multi-brand multi-billion dollar platform experience. Uh, so we went out and got the best people who have, you know, made their life uh, building in and growing, you know, multi, 
multi property service, multi-platform, you know, billion dollar brands. From the asset perspective, we went out and bought six companies and they have, uh, they have the requirements uh, that these types of owners are going to be looking for in terms of item 19, you know, revenue potential, uh, profitability, and those types of things. We migrated them all onto the same operating platform. I think we're the only platform out there where they all operate in the exact same operating platform uh, so that we could then put a massive technology solution around to give these enterprise builders, these dynasty builders, the kind of uh, technology systems, the Power BI, the dashboards, the insights that they're accustomed to at wherever they came from. And, uh, and then, you know, we, we have an LMS, uh, learning management system. So we, we focused heavy. We got an incredible executive on the learning side. So, and then obviously that, that powerful combination and customer acquisition of marketing and call center is something that we know that we need to be excellent at. So you take all of those, those things and you say, if we look across all the different brands that we, we have known about and worked with and observed over the years, who did it the best? And then let's do all of that and put that together. And uh, so that's what Homefront Brands is. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And I, I imagine at this point, you know, uh, I'm sure you vetted a lot more than six brands initially, and you probably have a lot of brands now that want to be part of your portfolio. But I was curious, what's what's your team's process for, you know, maybe vetting brands or what, what needs to be in place? And and maybe on the flip side, what are what are some red flags that you know you guys as a as an umbrella company look at, but maybe also down to the what individual candidates are looking at when they're looking at a, uh, you know, when they're looking at a concept. Yeah. So for us, I mean, you know, just kind of like first pass on a brand, um, they have to be in business for over five years. We're looking because we want them to have figured everything out and, and to really understand who is the customer, how is the customer acquired? How are they served? Uh, we're looking for multi-million dollar AUVs, not $1 million AUVs, but we want there to be multi-million dollar potential, uh, if we can find something that has some fragmentation to it, I mean, which is hard to find now, I mean, but there are things that, that there are services that they're still not over franchised. So if, definitely if we can find uh, something where we can be very relevant with maybe only one or, one or two other players in there, that's obviously a great situation to create leverage in. Um, and we like a good, we like there to be a commercial and residential mix to the services. We do have one B2B business. It's a B2B, B2GC business. Uh, we like rental models, uh, things where there's a, you know, a portion of the inventory is rented. And then we do like uh, where there's a product and service mix so that we can optimize uh, supply chain and, you know, monetize, optimize and create efficiencies for the franchisees inside of the supply chain as well. So those are, those are just a few of the things that we look for. Yeah. You know, as a franchise consultant, I love brands that are, that are part of, you know, a, a larger organization like Homefront. And I, and I tell candidates all the time that, you know, that brands that are part of these groups, you know, there's obviously, uh, you know, synergies between brands, some economies of scale that you touched on, and, and they often share the same customer base. But the thing I really like about them is the fact that, you know, a group like Homefront Brands, a bunch of really smart people believed in this brand enough, right? They believed in the team, believed in the model that they bought them in in-house. And that's really like an extra layer of vetting, right? Vetting these concepts out, right? Hey, if if Homefront believes in these guys enough, then uh, th that's really a, a step in the right direction. 
Well, I appreciate that. You know, we, we're, we're definitely doing our best. You know, all business is full contact. I mean, you know, we're very, we're very, uh, we're a radically truthful and radically transparent uh, culture here. And we are an idea meritocracy. Uh, so, you know, what franchisees can inspect is uh, absolute transparency, uh, data, heavy, heavy, heavy data being served up. So like every conversation needs to start uh, with data and as a way of keeping the emotions out of it and keeping the ob- objectivity high. So, you know, we've spent an enormous amount of money to deliver uh, real time data to the franchisees so that now we, we have a it's like reading the chart at the doctor's office. Right. I mean, if you just walked in to the to the room and I don't know, Greg, you don't look so good, but it could, we're going to we're just going to start by taking your appendix out. Yeah, but I've already had that out. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's, you know, you just you want to you want you want some facts and you want some data. And I mean, building a business is the same way as diagnosing a patient. I mean, it's it's you, you got to have those vital signs and you have to agree on what they are. And then there's got to be a protocol for, you know, when something's out of whack. Yeah. No, that's really cool. And, you know, I was I was fortunate enough to come down uh, probably about a month or so ago and, and, and meet a bunch of folks on your team and, you know, super impressed with what, what you're building. Yeah, it's funny. I wanted to mention that that one of those little kids that you were, you know, driving home and worried about missing, missing their sports. He's uh, you know, have a, an opportunity to, to work with that young man. Right. I, I, I met your son, Zach, and uh Really enjoyed chatting with them, and uh, gosh, what a what a blessing for you and a, and a cool opportunity, I'm sure, to be able to work with him. And it, it is. I mean, I, I I've learned more from my kids uh, than they've learned from me. I, I can tell you that they're they're the greatest teachers. Um, you know, my daughter, I I've shared this story. You know, the people. You know, why why are you doing uh, home front brands again? Like, what's the motivation to it? You know, it's 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 not financial. I, you know, the one thing I learned when I sold my business was um, that after a couple of weeks, that I'm not fine. I'm not really that financially driven. My lifestyle hasn't really changed that much. Uh, we, you know, we haven't surrounded ourselves with with a bunch of things, and uh, we've traveled. You know, but we we've had some great experiences. We've invested in experiences and things like that. But uh, so my daughter uh, graduated from Clemson. She's got an accounting degree. And she's, I've known, look, I've known this kid was a lawyer since she was five years old. She, you know, super like high read, like very high comprehension, incredible writer, <laughs> zero empathy. Right? So, and, 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 you know, and negotiating proudly. with you on everything, right? That's yeah. <laughs> she's, she's like that. Uh, she's like uh, April Ludgate on uh, Park and Rec in a way, but um yeah. So anyway, she's uh, so she says, "Why well, I'm going to go to law school. I, I give up. And uh, so she studies a couple of months for the LSAT, throws down a really good score. And that score would actually qualify her kind of at the bottom end to get in a top six law school, which, you know, Princeton, Harvard, NYU, those places. And, uh, you know, those places are. And but the other thing that it does is it, it gives her the opportunity to go to maybe a top 30 law school for free. And, you know, they would want her. So she applies to NYU early decision and she gets in and it's like, Oh my God, I can't, I can't believe you got in. You know, first of all, number two, do you want to, you know, do you, do you, do you really want to live in New York city yeah. uh, right now? You know, country mouse going into the city, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, she, like I've said, every, everybody needs an adventure in life. I mean, and you know, this is a great one for her. And I said, are you, you know, you don't even, I mean, are you really even going to use the the degree? And she says, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure I will. She says, but she says, didn't you always tell us that we need to compete 
at the highest level that we qualify for. And I'm just like, oh, that little piece of advice, <laughs> that little piece of advice has cost me $250,000. Yeah, it's going to cost you a lot, I was going to say. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. I'm like, keep your mouth shut next time, dad. But no, but I mean, like, that's like, I think we all have an opportunity from wherever we're sitting today to take whatever it is we've learned to think about that and then figure out where we can make an impact with it. I mean, that's really like, why, like, what, you know, what do you, what do you do? Do you, do you take your toys? Do you take your ball and go home and, and sit on a fishing boat or sit on a golf course? Or do you get out and, and make an impact? I mean, there's, there's, everybody has something that could benefit somebody else. And, you know, we're up and the more that you do and the more that you've experienced, I think the bigger the obligation to, to share that stuff. So that's really what Homefront Brands is for. It's a, it's a passion play. We're building a hundred year brand here. It's, I mean, that's the way we started our first company meeting was we're building a hundred year brand. The everybody's on board for 10 years to do it. And uh, we don't have any private equity in the business, nor do we need any. So we're, it's all family funded. And, uh, and we're just, we're building a kind of a values forward family first company here with, of excellence. Yeah. That's really cool. And I'm, and I'm excited to kind of see what the, what the future holds for, for Homefront. Um, I wanted to switch gears here a little bit and you've been super generous with your time. Uh, I wanted to talk briefly about your, your experience on, uh, Undercover Boss episode, uh, with it, with Clean. You know, I, I haven't seen the episode, but I'm, I'm familiar with the show and it, gosh, it's, it's sometimes it just makes you cringe, you know, what they uncover. And, you know, they're obviously looking for good TV and, and something to expose, but, like what a what a vulnerable feeling that must have been just kind of uh, exposing yourself and the company and um, I just I, I I guess my thought is you just must have had so much faith in your people and the culture that you built to just open it up right to, for the world to see like that right because you really don't know what they're going to come up with no you don't and uh, so for us first of all like discernment how do we make the decision so. You know, we're a private family. We, you know, nobody, very few people knew what we did, nor did they know the size or scope of the business that we had, because that's just, we just didn't roll that way. So, you know, we sat down and I said, look, guys, I mean, if, if we get on this show and, and, uh, you know, the chances is that, you know, it could impact your life. You know, people might look at you differently. They might think they might think things or whatever. So there was always some risk. And I said, and there's always the risk that this isn't going to go well. I mean, if you look at some of these shows, they don't now they don't actually the ones that don't go well, they don't actually rerun that much. Ours went spectacularly well and it plays all the time. I mean, I mean, we've been at I can't tell you all the places we've been sitting in a hotel lobby with a bunch of soccer kids and it turned it's on the TV. <laughs> it's like my daughter was with her roommate. That's why came on TV. Like she never told him. And a, you know, a year later, there it comes on the TV, and they're just like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> isn't that your dad?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, it's cool. I mean, it's a, it's a cool thing. Uh, but the um, you know, I sat him down on the couch, and, and it was under this. You know, we have a set of family values. You know, be humble, respect others. Uh, um, uh, what is it? Have fun. Uh, live, live fun. Yeah, uh, be humble. Respect others. You know, be a servant leader. Never panic. Uh, trust yourself to take chances. Always do more than is expected and fail fast and push forward. So at least three or four of those values say you don't have a choice. You have to do this. Trust yourself to take chances. Do more than is expected, you know, and, and those types of things. 
so we sat there and we made the decision to do it. And what I really, what I really thought, and it proved to be the case, is that I thought we had enough alignment with our franchise partners in the values of the company that wherever they landed, that they would, sh- that, you know, and they actually had to go to like 60 locations to find the, the five, you know, cause they, they Story want storylines, right? Yeah. yeah, man. They want some drama. They want some diversity. They want, you know, things that are going to, because it's television. And if it's, if it's all unicorns and bubbles, nobody's watching. <laughs> I mean, it's gotta be, you know, something has to go wrong. Somebody's got to go off. Somebody's got to be, you know, yeah. misbehaving. <laughs> and uh, they had a hard time. Like they had a really hard time finding it in the network. And so we ended up with five, we did five segments in the can and, and uh, one of them got tossed. Uh, I got, I got busted twice. And uh, then four of them made the, made the air. And, and uh, you know, some of them, you know, three of them worked out great. One of them didn't work out so great as far as, you know, the outcomes mm-hmm. and uh, whatever, but, but one of them, one of them worked out spectacularly. Danielle in our call center is just an amazing person. Her uh, husband, uh, you know, something had gone, you know, really tragically wrong in the marriage. She had a special needs kid. They had to move away from the hospital uh, and she was still volunteering. Like she was volunteering as they were starving and they were literally getting ready to be out of their house. And we gave her a, a most heart tear jerking thing was to hear her kid on the phone. Can't even think about it. But um, when she was telling him, but so we, we did, uh, we did rent, we sent them on a vacation. They'd never really been on a vacation. Right. Uh, so we sent them to, they went to, they wanted to go to California for a week. So that's what they did. They went all over the place. We paid for their rent for two years. We gave her a job in our call center. We set her up so she could, it wasn't a lot of remote work going on, but we set her up to work remotely so she could work remote. She became one of our best, most productive operators, one of our top earners in the system. And then, two, you know, two years to the day, which we paid for a house for two years, she got married and she bought a house. I got like goosebumps here, man. That's, yeah. That's, so that's like, amazing. You know. That's really cool. Yeah, man. It was it was great. And she earned it. She did all the work. I mean, all she needed was an opportunity. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah, was awesome. Well, Jeff, this has been great. Yeah, I've really good, enjoyed good job, it. Danielle. I, I feel like I could uh sit around and talk business with you all day, but I guess we should both uh get back to work probably. Uh, if a listener would like to learn more about what you're building at home, is the website the best place to get started? Yeah, you can go to homefrontbrands.com. That's great. Uh, I suggest you reach out to me personally on LinkedIn. Just go to Jeff Duden and reach me on LinkedIn because right in my page, uh, there's a link to the Undercover Boss episode. So free, free to you. So if you go to my LinkedIn page, click through on the Undercover Boss. It's right there for you. And then other than LinkedIn, uh, my second best probably platform would be Instagram. So if you want to reach out, follow follow me on Instagram. And if you go to those places uh, or you you follow uh, Homefront Brands on any of the social channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you will see that we are dropping on the Homefront podcast. And we have had some incredible guests. Uh, we've got about 10 episodes in the can. We've dropped four and it is being very well received. So great podcast out there right now on the Homefront with Jeff Duden. Yeah, very cool. I was going to mention that. In addition to being an author, you're now a, a podcast host. So that's that's fantastic. I'm that's glad right. you, aren't, uh, aren't we all? That's aren't right. All? <laughs> that's right. And, and you know what? I just saw today that we will, you and I will both be speakers or on a panel at the FranServe convention in July this summer. So I'll, I'll okay. look forward to, to seeing you again in person. That'll be yeah, fun. Yeah, that will be great. Well, thanks again, Jeff. This was a lot of fun. Hey, I really appreciate it. It's been an honor to be on with you today. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Franchise Hounds. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode or would like to work with me directly to explore franchise ownership opportunities, please reach out through the form on our website at FranchiseHounds.com.